We're reading this morning Luke 10, verses 25 through 37, the parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him for dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So, too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Let us be in an attitude of prayer as we pray this morning for the reading of this word and for the our pastor as he comes forward to teach. Dear Lord, it's on our hearts to go and do likewise. And listening to this story again this morning, one that we've heard since we were little children perhaps, we know that there are deep messages here for those who we consider our neighbor, for those who you consider the ones that we are to love and love as ourselves. And so, Lord, put these words on our hearts. Just imprint them on there so that we can ponder them, think about them, and just take them in and make them part of our being. And, Lord, as Pastor Mike comes forward to deliver the message this morning that you have given to him to share, we just pray that our hearts will be receptive, that we will hear with open minds and open ears, and that you're, he will preach boldly the lesson that you have given him to teach. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We pride, we pride ourselves in uh, being a church that, that deals with what's in front of us. So I'd like to welcome all of you to First United Methodist of Anchorage, Alaska. Um, it's cold in here. Uh, you know, when Pastor Mike's cold, it's really cold in here. Um, and so thanks for paying the utilities. We'll try to get that solved. Although it is funny when you're up here, sometimes I'll have people sitting in the front and they'll come up and they're saying, it's so cold in church and I'm looking at the back row and they're going like this. So it can go either way. So... Um, it's exciting. Uh, Pastor Keith and I are working through this uh, group of series, uh, this series uh, of sermons called Because We Believe, 
we do. And, and you've got an insert in your bulletin there. And if you want to grab that, it's got a, a highlighted passage, which is where I'm going to start, and then some, some notes. The highlighted passage says this, A disciple is obedient to the Scriptures, has a vibrant prayer life, attends worship regularly, practices evangelism, and loves their neighbor as themselves. And, and, and as those scriptures that you saw pass by on the screen as, as Vicki was preparing to read uh, the Good Samaritan passage, and as you saw in that Good Samaritan passage, what we understand very clearly is this. The Christian ethic is concrete, not abstract. The, the way a Christian is to live is not some ethereal, abstract idea that's up here somewhere. It's something that's concrete that we can get our hands around. Mark Twain said years and years ago in one of his writings, It's not the part of the Bible that I don't understand that causes me the greatest problems. It's the parts of the Bible that I do understand that cause me problems. Because the parts of the Bible we do understand call us to be something... And to do something, which is why Pastor Keith and I are centering our ideals in this uh, couple of months around the idea, because we believe, we do. Now, now that order is important. You start with belief that leads to doing. You see, you believe in Christ, you, you be in Him, you know Him face to face, and because of that, you do things. It's not the other way around. See, religion is not based in, in, in who gets to do the most. It's not a dewy relationship. Our, our faith, our Christian faith, is not a checklist of saying, these are the things you have to do. Do this, do this, and do that. That's what Jesus' teaching is about in, John, in Luke chapter 10. It sounds at first uh, blush, even because Jesus says, do this and you will live, that this is a do list. Or a to-do list for us as Christians. Now, this is not fresh to most of the ears of you that have been here. Every pastor that's ever stood in this spot, and probably every pastor that you've ever had time to incline your ear to, has preached a sermon that you've listened to on this passage, the Good Samaritan. Let me not try to undo any of those teachings, and let me help you focus on what it's all about. It is about being that leads to doing. You see, what the lawyer asked Jesus is what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, what does the law say? Love your Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. That's called the Shema in, in, uh, in Hebrew. And Jesus says, and love your neighbor as yourself. And, and the lawyer then takes this in a whole different track. You, you see, and, and what I want to, to share with you on this teaching is looking down the track where the lawyer and we often go and help us understand where Christ was trying to lead us. I believe that love thy neighbor is Christ's answer to religion. Think about that for a minute. See, the question is, what is the letter of this law? See, the quest in religion so often is what's right. We, we want to be right. And, and the lawyer's question says, in my religion, what must I do? What are the things I must do to be right? And Jesus' response is not, well, go do a bunch of nice things. Go find a bunch of people that need some help. Help them. That's not what Jesus answered. And that's really not the point of the Good Samaritan's 
question. What he says is, be that, be that, and live that way. <clears throat> what is the be that? Be, be, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Be that. Be a person that throws all in on God. And be, love thy neighbor. Be that. Be that way. But, but then the, the lawyer says, but technically, technically, Jesus, I'm trying to get this right. You know, you can imagine this. Half of us feel the same way. But technically, Jesus, okay, we're supposed to be this, but what are we supposed to be? Technically, Jesus, who, who is our neighbor? Is it that guy, this guy, or the other guy? Who, who, who is it? You know, we like getting technical, don't we? Because even when we're wrong, we can just be a little bit right. The true story. True story. One of my friends, who's a parent like I am, son crashed their truck. I mean, no question about it. It's crashed. Truck is crashed. And the dad gets up in the morning and says, son, did you crash the truck last night? Well, not technically, Dad. Technically, it was this morning. You know, we like technicalities. That's not going to get you off. But we're a little bit, a, a little bit, uh, a little bit, you know, can, that where we can be a little bit right. I, I remember sitting in a, a marriage counseling session years and years ago, and she pointed across the couch at him and says, well, the problem is he calls me a witch. And he says, no, 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 dear. No, 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 no. Technically, that's not right. I say you have witch-like tendencies. That's not the same. <laughs> you know, technically, you know, technically. See, Jesus' caution is that often the religious, and we're here on Sunday morning, so that's probably us, often the religious get caught in the technical and then God's purpose is missed. When you get caught in the technical, God's purpose is missed because he doesn't hide us for it. So Jesus changes the question from who is my neighbor to what should my love look like? That's the question for us today. Not who's our neighbor. That's kind of obvious. But what should our love look like? What should our lives look like? And Jesus says, so the answer to the question is, give your total self to God and your neighbor. See, it's a simple thing to say. We say this all the time to our students. Simple to say, hard to do. It's pretty simple to say this. It's all you have to do to be a great Christian. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor yourself. The hard part is we said all. We got to throw all of us into this loving of God. We got to throw all of ourselves into this loving of neighbor. And in this, in this world of doing, in this world of checklists of what should we do to be right, the Lord says our greatest value is not in our doing, but in our being. It's in who we actually are. See, the essence of Christianity is in our being, not in our doing. We cannot do discipleship. We can only be a disciple. We cannot do good father. I can only be a good father. You cannot do good neighbor. You can only be a good neighbor. See, we are supposed to be as followers of Christ. And, and being followers of Christ in our following, you see, we'll be led what to do. We'll, we'll be led what to, to what we need to do. 
See, but the main thing is to decide what we're going to be. If we're going to be a follower of Christ, then we're going to follow him wherever he takes us. If we're going to be a disciple of Christ, then, then we'll, we'll do disciple. Isn't that cool sound? I love that. I call it Harleys for Hap. They're going over to help Hap out and give him some love. But, but you see, <clears throat> when we're led to what we're doing, our choices are much earlier on. See, when my, when my wife was pregnant way back when, when our, before our daughters were bur- born, my, my wife is so diminutive. When she first became pregnant, she kind of looked like a weevil, you know? Uh, Starts spreading out. She kids about that all the time. But I remember when she was pregnant and, and when you could watch, like you do with a pregnant woman, like, like we do in our congregation and our families all the time, when we could see her growing, I remember then pledging and praying that I might be a good father. And in my choice, you know, that was in prayer and in that pledge to be a good father, it led to a whole lot of doing that I probably wouldn't have chose for myself. You know, I never minded, guys. Guys, you know what this is. You know what I'm talking about? You guys that have lived through this. Those diapers, no big deal. That taking them on walks, no big deal. I'll tell you the thing that just I would not have ever done if I hadn't chosen to be a big father, be a good father. It's that, it's that ball thing, you know, that suction ball thing. This is among the top worst experiences of my life. You know, where you get that thing, you shove it up into that kid's nose, and you squeeze that and pull it. Oh! I mean, I'm like, I'm doing dry heaves, and I'm not a guy that does that. I mean, I love this kid enough that she snuck, if she's stuffed up, I'll pull that right out of there. But I wouldn't do that to your kid. <laughs> I don't want to be their father. They've got good fathers, so I'm glad for that. But, but see, my choice was to be a good father, so that led to a lot of doing that, that, that I may or may want to do. I remember uh, one time we were, it was, you know, this time of year, and it was, I was talking to one of my daughters out, and, you know, it was getting close to bedtime. I said, well, it's too bad we can't just be out camping tonight. And she says, well, we can, Dad if we put the back seat in the blazer down because the sun will wake us up in time for me to go to school and I was camping in the back seat of a blazer or what we would call the chiropractor's dream, right? <laughs> but I wouldn't have done that on my own volition but I chose to be a good father so guess what? I have two kids so I spent two consecutive nights in the back of that blazer one with one girl, one with the other but that was a choice that I made long before they were born you see what I'm saying? I didn't decide that day I was going to do that. I apologize to all of you guys that I might have just, you know, confined to blazers tonight, so good luck with all that. But, 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 but see, the, the being led to the doing. The choice to be in Christ leads to doing too. The choice to be in Christ, to, 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 to long before incidents or issues come up, to be in Christ will lead us to our doing based on the need of the world in that particular moment and the Spirit's nudging, the Spirit's pushing us along. So many times, nobody really assigns us to be a good neighbor. You just start thinking about your neighbor and, or, you know, maybe it's a person in really close proximity or it's just another person. I should be praying for them. I should be helping them. You know why God's putting that in your mind? Because probably nobody else is doing it for them. And God is nudging you to that. So when you are in Christ, when you're being in Christ, those nudges are leading you to the doing. Because faith transforms your being into doing. Faith transforms your being into doing. Your, your heart, when it's in Christ, naturally flows out to others. 
It, it just naturally does. But our being precedes our faithful doing. Are, am I getting through here? Our being precedes our faithful doing. See, <clears throat> the lawyer that Jesus is engaged with wants to do himself into good standing with God. He wants to do himself into good standing with God. But his doing wasn't really for God, was it? What must I do for me to inherit eternal life? His doing wasn't really for God. His heart wasn't in God. He wanted to do himself, himself, into good standing. He wanted to be right. See, I think there's two misguided notions in the North American church today that this passage brings up for us. The first is this, that you can do yourself into being with Christ. You cannot do yourself into being with Christ. Christ chooses a relationship with you. And you can be into that relationship, but you can't do yourself into that relationship. Good works are commendable for the world community, and they are greatly needed, and we have to do all those things. But they alone do not lead to faith or to glorifying God. They alone, good things that we do, do not lead by themselves to glorifying God or to deep faith. See, being in Christ leads to doing. I've been proud. One of the hardest things I do when I go to preachers' meetings is to not brag about who you are and what you do. See, we do this thing called FLY. And if you're new here, FLY is an acronym for a program we call Feeding Lunches to Youth. And FLY means that every day during the summer and spring break, when children in the Marion and Linmar School District do not have school lunches being provided for them, we go into eight different sites where there's a high volume of uh, reduced and free lunches being given to the students that live there at school and take sack lunches. It's a nice thing to do. It is. But we don't do it because we're so nice. If you look up the mission statement of FLY, what it says is, because of Jesus, we. Because of Jesus, we do this. Because our hearts are in Christ, we naturally see the need of the children in our community. Because of Christ, we say, well, while governmental funding would be nice, we say, we'll do it ourselves. Because of Christ, we will not let this fail regardless of the obstacles that come upon us. Others could and would do this. I believe by now, you know, we're six or seven or eight years into the Feeding Lunches to Youth program. I believe that others could and would possibly do this because it's the right thing and children need lunches no matter what, I contend, and I will continue to believe, that we at First United Methodist Church have led that charge for years and years now because we are in the Lord. He is driving us. He will not allow us to fall no matter what the obstacles are. Because of Jesus, you see, we do this thing. We can't do ourselves into being. So secondly, another misguided notion, I think, in the North American church is this. It's the reverse of that, which is, if you're in Christ, you don't need to do anything. You know, if you've been saved, you don't need to do anything. See, that's an incomplete faith, according to Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That means this leads to that. You cannot have one half without the other. You know, I had a little kid explain this to me once. Pastor Mike, belief and doing things for God. 
is like an Oreo. If you just have the chocolate cookie, it's just a chocolate cookie. It's not an Oreo. You've got to have the cream filling to hold the two together. You know, from the mouths of babes, right? Faith and works complete each other. See, see, faith is who we are. And our works complete that because we do who we are. I have never met a Christian anywhere ever who is completely in love with Jesus, who is not passionate about some brokenness in the human community and willing to do something about it. Never met one. Just haven't. Because that's what passionate Christians are all about. Being always precedes your doing. Now, here's what I believe about the Samaritan. I believe the Samaritan was committed to serving before the encounter. I don't know if he was 10. I don't know if he was 20. I don't know what changed in the DNA of his personality that he says, you know, whenever I come upon somebody in need, I'm going to help them. You know people like this though, right? But I don't think the Samaritan thought of it in that moment. He says, well, I saw that one guy pass by. I saw the other guy pass Somebody's got to do something about that. It'll be me. I think before he got on his donkey and headed down the road, he knew in his spirit that if he came upon somebody that was going to need help, he was going to help him. Here's how this plays out. Jesus only gives one theological exam in the New Testament. Here it is. It's in Matthew 25, uh, verses 34 and following. Check this out. Then the king will say to those on his right, this is at the end times, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will say to him, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothing? When? See, the awesome part of that is he didn't know. The righteous don't know when they're doing something out of the ordinary because their whole lives are extraordinary because they take the ordinary, that is their being in Christ, and it transforms to extraordinary doing for the world community and for our neighbors. Our being must be in Christ because then we are led to extraordinary lifestyles. See, loving your neighbor is a lifestyle. It's not a feeling. It's not a tactic. Loving your neighbor is a lifestyle. I want to show you a little picture up here. I don't know how to pronounce this bridge. I think it's, I, I'll read it to you. Let's go with something in Chinese bridge, all right? Um, <laughs> it's the Nanjing Yangtze River Bridge. I, I put it up there because I want to see its, you to see its mass. This bridge is known uh, by a second name in China. Uh, many people refer to it as the Suicide Bridge. Because uh, weekly, uh, people that are not feeling well about themselves uh, go on to the, the bridge and hurl themselves off the side and, uh, and die. As a matter of fact, I um, don't want to stimulate what you're going to do this afternoon, but there's several videos on YouTube of, of people actually doing that, which is tragic and sad. Which is why... Uh, a Chinese Christian, not very many of them, named Chen Si, after seeing this, because he passed on that bridge every day to work, and would actually see, had seen that one or two times where people had actually thrown themselves off uh, to their death, he, he decided 
because he loved Jesus so more that much that Jesus would want him on that bridge talking to people. So every Saturday and Sunday when he doesn't work, he rides his motorbike back and forth across the bridge or walks back and forth across this bridge, which as you can see is quite long, quite large, and talks to people that he sees standing by the rails and he perceives that they might be depressed or sad. Now this Chinese Christian newspaper that I read this article out has quantified by personal testimonies that Chen Si has prevented 150 suicides in the last 10 years from the uh, Yangtze River Bridge. And when asked why he does it, he says, well, I love God. And God cares for people. And because God cares for people, I must care for people too. See, his faith transformed his being into his doing. Now instead of flying kites or whatever else he used to do on summer, on weekends, in the weekend, even right now, since it's a weekend, if it still is in China, Chen Si is on the bridge, back and forth, serving Christ. See, that's a lifestyle. Uh, that's not a tactic. That's not a feeling when you do something like that. And of course, the, the simplistic point is, is that you can't be in a vertical relationship with God without a horizontal relationship to his people. You know, if you're going to be in God, you're naturally going to reach your arms out to the world community. I, I want you to drink this in because religion is not about being right. It's not about being right. And our Christianity is not about being right. It's about being in a relationship. And that relationship with, is with God himself who, who gives us heart of his heart, breath of his breath, uh, mind of his mind, and Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. God could be about anything. If you read the Genesis story, if you understand the mass that God is involved in in the heavens and the earth, God could have been about anything. And you know what he chooses to be about? Us. He chooses to be about us. And spend his being on us. See, God is about us and his being is committed to serving us. And he created us for loving. He created us for loving, which, which means, of course, loving him and, and giving him adoration and praise. But he also created us for, for others so to, 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 to offer mercy, not judgment. So many people in this world are offered judgment every single day from the way they look to their inclinations of their life, to the way they speak, to their level of education, to the amount of money they have. You know what the world does? Judge, 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 judge. But we are not judged, nor are we jury. God is the judge. We'll let him do that. He gives us the opportunity to sit in the mercy seat and offer people mercy day after day after day without any conditions. We don't have to say when you come into First United Methodist Church of Mary, if you will do things the way we do things, or if you'll wear a suit the way our pastor wears a suit, or if you'll give the way we give. No conditions. See, see, God's love is unconditional to us. It's bestowed upon us moment by moment. That's the example when Jesus says, do this and live. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbors like that. Give yourself completely to them. See, and understand that the main recognition we always need to make is the neighbor, whoever it is, is created in the same image you are created in the same image I am. And that's the image of God. God, God has 7.2 billion images walking on the face of the earth right now. 
Every single one of them is created for us to love. And the second thing that, that, that God is, is committed to is he, he redeems us for our living. He redeems us for our living. Now, this is, to me, my high school boy quote of the day. Man, if I was writing anything down in this sermon and I was a youth, I'd write this down. If God redeems us for a living, here's what I would write. Salvation is not spiritual Tupperware. Amen? You know, salvation is not spiritual Tupperware. It doesn't mean that you get saved and then you seal yourself up from everything else. And you put yourself on hold until you, you, know, you pass away from this earth and say, Well, I was saved for life eternal. That, that's not what, what living is. Living is not just creating a, a preservation thing for our own salvation. We, we, we sit, hear a Lord who says, do this and live, which means be in me and live like me in the world. Don't just sit there not putting out any of your fragrance, not taking the chance at being good for anyone else except yourself. And third, God's all about us and he's committed to serving us. And that's why he sustains us by his continual presence. See, we're never on our own in this journey through life. doesn't matter where we have to sojourn. doesn't matter where we have to walk. We never have to say to ourselves, perhaps God has walked away from us. I seem so all alone here. God is continually present with us. He, he never leaves us on our own, and he embraces us. And we need to embrace the presence in the very depths of our beings. Because of who God is, a disciple's doing comes from their being. And that's why we've written this line. A disciple is obedient to the scriptures, has a vibrant prayer life, attends worship regularly, practices evangelism, and loves their neighbors as themselves. May we be, every single day, every moment, may we be the disciples that God has empowered us to be. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your opportunity given to us to first know you, embrace you, and receive you. And when we come to live in you, Lord, we thank you for the opportunities that the world gives us today to receive you in every way and to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love Marion First United Methodist Church because of the way we care for others. We're not content just to exist within these four walls. We reach out into the community. We are the hands, the feet for Christ with projects like Fly, Marion Cares, the return of the turkey trot. We also help out across the United States and around the world. We send our members on mission trips. We help financially with the larger church. We participate in projects like the health kits, like the school kits. And when I tell others about all the things we're doing here, they're just amazed at what we can accomplish. Well, I think it just shows that we have a heart for sharing Christ with others. I choose to give my gifts to Marian Methodist because I feel it's important that we support these projects. My name is Brad Payton, and these are the reasons that I give my gifts to Marian Methodist. Will you please join me in worshiping God in this way? Will the ushers please come forward?